Hi guys and welcome back. This one is going to be both a YouTube video and a podcast episode. So wherever you are listening or watching, I hope that you get a lot out of what we're chatting about today. I am so fortunate to have my amazing sister, Sarah, joining us to talk about our shared experience with endometriosis. It is Endometriosis Awareness Month, so I definitely wanted to create a bit of content talking about something which really impacts my daily life a lot, which I have spoken about a little bit, but not in depth. And to talk to Sarah about it as well, because we really share our experience privately with each other. So why not come and share it with thousands of people? (laughs) What have I got you into, Sarah? Uh, So just for those who aren't aware, endometriosis is a chronic illness which affects one in nine people who menstruate. And for a bit of a more detailed definition, bear with me. It's a bit of a long one because this is just a fun, complex illness we're talking about. Endometriosis is a condition in which the tissue that normally lines the uterus, the endometrium, grows in other parts of the body. Stray endometrial tissue is known as endometrial implants or lesions. Endometriosis can affect the ovaries, fallopian tubes, bowel and lining of the pelvis. It can also grow on your diaphragm, your bladder. It's even been found in the spleen. We're seeing more and more that it can travel to all kinds of places, which is why it is such a painful illness. Stray endometrial tissue continues to act as it usually would inside the uterus. It thickens, breaks down and bleeds with each menstrual cycle. Because the stray tissue can't leave the body like normal menstrual blood does, it stays inside the pelvis where it can cause inflammation in the surrounding organs. The presence of stray tissue can be a constant source of irritation and inflammation to the pelvic area. This can lead to the formation of scar tissue and adhesions, which are abnormal bands of tissue that bind the pelvic organs together. Normally, our organs move a little as part of normal body functions like ovulating, having sex and going to the toilet. Adhesions and scar tissues can make these functions very painful, which impacts quality of life. Abnormal bleeding, inflammation, scar tissue and adhesions can cause severe pain, especially during menstruation. It can also lead to fertility issues. So endometriosis sounds like a bag of fun, doesn't it? Um, It also doesn't have a cure. There are some misconceptions and myths out there that having a baby means that your endometriosis is cured. Not true. Uh, It can be that you hear that a hysterectomy can cure your endometriosis. Not true. For some, that may be the case, but there are a lot of people reporting that this really commonly dispensed advice that having a baby will fix it, getting a hysterectomy will fix it, has been very disappointing and distressing for a lot of people who that's simply not been true for. So I wanted to talk about this because, like I said, it is something which really impacts my daily life. And for a lot of people out there, I know that they're secretly and silently suffering because there's a lot of stigma and shame associated with having not just a chronic illness, but a visible illness. Looking at me most of the time, you wouldn't know I'm in the level of pain that I'm in, that I'm experiencing the level of exhaustion that I'm experiencing, that my anxiety is at a level it's at because of the level of pain that I'm in. So really wanted to give a bit of a voice to my experience and Sarah's experience as well. So some of the symptoms of endometriosis can be painful periods, pain during uh, or around ovulation, pain during or after sex. Again, 
what a good time. Heavy bleeding or irregular bleeding, pain with bowel movements or urination, pain in the pelvic area, lower back or legs. It's usually in the hips for me. Nausea, fatigue, diarrhea and constipation, difficulty falling pregnant. And I know that a lot of people out there would probably add a multitude of other symptoms to that because due to lack of funding and awareness, we really just don't know that much about endometriosis. We don't have a lot of public information out there reaching people uh, who are probably suffering thinking that it's just a bad period or that maybe their pain tolerance just isn't as high as other people's and they just need to suck it up when in fact you're really dealing with something really really debilitating so just wanted this to be a bit of a space to uh, know that you're not alone to know that I'm here uh, understanding and sympathizing Sarah I know certainly is uh, and that even though it can feel like you're alone you're not I will be putting some really great resources as far as uh, foundations online information some really good Instagram accounts just some places you can go for information but also community and connection so Sarah and I are going to be talking through like I said our experience with endometriosis she is an absolute dream she is so kind and generous particularly in coming and sharing this with us today because I know it's not easy to talk about and if you're somebody who feels like they might be dealing with endometriosis I would really strongly encourage you to listen to the episode all the way through because there's some really great information in here about advocating for yourself taking care of yourself and being able to get through those periods when no pun intended when (laughs) your endometriosis is really making life difficult so enjoy the chat I will be back next week with another video and podcast episode in the meantime as always much love take care enjoy the chat So I am so happy to have my beautiful sister, Sarah, here. Thank you for coming and talking to us about endometriosis, the blessing that is living with endometriosis. Um, Great. (laughs) What a privilege. Um, So obviously we have both been dealing with endometriosis. We've really, for a similar length of time, we've had a really similar sort of period of time that we've been dealing with it so I wanted to talk a little bit about what it's like to live with endometriosis and I know it's something that you and I talk about all the time Uh, (laughs) it's every day like it's not just when you get your period it's not just bad PMS it's a daily thing especially when it's a case so when were you diagnosed with endometriosis where does your sort of story with endometriosis begin Well, I think, you know, I was diagnosed in 2019, in May of 2019, Um, but I think that I had had symptoms for a very, very long time, much like you when you talk about the fact that you kind of just dealt with your symptoms thinking that that was just normal. Um, I had a very similar experience. So, you know, heavy periods, um, uncomfortable, painful periods um, that just kind of felt like they were different from other people's and what they experienced. And I didn't quite understand why I was getting these horrible periods. Um, And finally it started to get so bad that I had to go and speak to a doctor about it. And uh, we went along the path of, um, you know, surgery. Uh, So in 2019, I had the surgery and was diagnosed. Yeah. And that, I think people don't realize that, you know, you can have the symptoms and you can have all the things which in 
indicate that there's endometriosis, but it's not until you actually go and have surgery, laparoscopic surgery, that they can give you an official diagnosis. Yes, which correct. just adds to people's lack of access to being able to be diagnosed. I mean, I think we're pretty lucky here in Australia, but in America, you think about how much medical care costs that mm. people would be turned off from going and getting diagnosed via surgery because it costs so much. It does. It's very expensive. I had private health cover and I still had out-of-pocket costs for a few thousand dollars um so and you know i was in a private hospital which you know was very nice but i was not expecting those um out-of-pocket costs to be as high as they were so i couldn't even imagine what it would be like in a country where you know even if you have private health cover cover sometimes you do have that um excess that you need to pay um and also people not um, covered at all you know it's it's more than ten thousand dollars i think for that kind of surgery just off the top of my head i don't know for certain but it's very expensive so you know i'm very grateful that i was able to get the treatment i needed and the diagnosis that i need yeah and i think people struggle with it as well because people do sort of believe it's just bad period pain or maybe you have like a low pain tolerance and it's just that you're experiencing something other people who get their periods are experiencing. Yeah, they're just stronger than you. (laughs) Yeah, like you just don't know how to sort of suck it up and get on with it. So given, you know, like I know what bad period pain is because I didn't always have endometriosis, but now that I have endometriosis, I know the difference that... For me, it was an inability to even walk, like put one foot in front of the other. When I would have, you know, a flare up, uh, I would feel like my insides, and this is going to be fairly graphic, but I would feel like my insides were going to fall out. Like the amount of pressure and swelling and pain was just crescendoing and crescendoing to the point where I was like, I don't think my body can do this without there being a serious consequence here for my other organs, right? Like exactly. Something's going to explode. Um, So it's the intensity of the pain. It's the fatigue, the tiredness. That's a big one for me. I literally just got hit by a truck. Really? That's how you feel. You just feel like you're exhausted. It's, it's, um, I would actually knowing some people who have, you know, that, um, chronic, um, sorry, Mel's I've lost it. (laughs) Chronic fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. Chronic fatigue. I, I feel like it can be relatable to something like that. When you're getting your flare up, it's just this, you can't think it's a brain fog that you're in. And yeah, I get that a couple of times a month now, unfortunately. So um, yeah, it's something that I have to try to manage with painkillers and um, everything else. The, pa- the the pressure that you were talking about and the pain, I, I totally relate to that, as you know, a lot of my pain feels like it's very deep in my pelvis and also puts a lot of um, pressure and pain on my hips and my legs. I get a lot of pain, um, you know, a couple of times a month with my sciatic nerve. So I'm on, you know, a medication to help me with my sciatic pain. Um, I thought maybe it might've just been because I'm getting old, but I think it actually is related to, to that. Yeah, it's, well, it's simply, it's, um, it's cyclical, so it only seems to really happen the worst when I'm going through a flare-up. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting as well. Like, you know, you mentioned um, getting the diagnosis, having the surgery really is the only way you can be diagnosed. Um, I had a deep 
scan, uh, it's, it's like an ultrasound for endometriosis and they, they couldn't find any endometriosis in, on that scan. And my doctor explained it to me. Um, I actually don't have a huge amount of endometriosis in my pelvis, but what I do have is really um, painful. So my doctor explained to me that some people can have it really, really badly um, and not actually feel any pain or anything. Um, it really comes down to the individual. Other people can have a tiny amount and it can just completely impact their lives, mm. um, which is incredible. You know, and the other thing is, you know, um, they related it to like having a pimple inside the back of your nose. You yeah. know it's there. Yeah. You, can't, you couldn't see it. You, if you go digging around, it's, it would be hard to find, but it's there and it's inflamed and, in, and causing you pain. So that's another thing my doctor um, said to me. It was just something that, you know, it, it's different. It appears differently in, in different people. So, yeah, it's really interesting that um, it can affect people differently. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest struggles that I come up against, and you and I talk about this a lot, and it's so helpful to speak to other people who have an illness like endometriosis that is so misunderstood and not, oh, you know, advocated yeah. for enough. And there's just not enough awareness out there about what it is and what it's like to live with it mm -hmm. is the fact that for the most part, it is invisible. People can't see the intensity of the pain. They can't see how deeply it affects your uh, energy levels, how much that then affects your mental state, how much it affects your ability to go out and do the things that you'd normally do, your movement that I will walk, uh, you know, just down the road. And I used to be able to, you know, I mean, these the, running half marathons is very much a thing of the past for me for a number <laughs> of reasons. I used to be able to run half marathons without any kind of pain. Um, yeah. And now walking down the street, I end up with hip pain that feels like it's coming from the bone it's yeah. not it's it's swelling and it's you know it's the nerves being irritated but that's from for me from me going getting like some milk not even yeah. you know going out and going for a nice morning walk and listening to a podcast very often it's something that would be good for my head but I just don't even bother doing it because I'll be trying to bounce back from that all day exactly. and I don't think people understand that when I try to explain to them how much it affects my life. I look like I'm healthy. I look like I should feel okay. And yep. sometimes I feel like I'm being a whinger or a hypochondriac and people are probably being like, oh my God, what is this thing she keeps going on about? Do you notice that people are just like, they have just no idea what you're talking totally, about? Totally, totally relate to that. I mean, where can I begin with this? <laughs> Most people do not understand what endometriosis is. I've had to leave my career because of it, because I had a boss who seemed to be on board with understanding it. Um, but it was, it was, I always kind of got the sense that they never really understood. Um, and, you know, that's the thing. There's a lot of like shame around it as well, because I, I was able to get to a, quite a senior position in my career and I had to basically abandon it. Side note, I hated it, yeah. but I mean, I hated the job and I hated the, what I was doing, but you know, at the end of the day, um, it's still really stressful. Very. And yeah. I couldn't, a part of the reason I ended up hating it is because there was no flexibility with the illness that I now had. So, you know, working eight or nine hours for me sitting in the same spot and trying to use my brain when I was in the middle of an endometriosis flare up. It was just not 
compatible. It just didn't work anymore. And, you know, I used to be able to work 12 hour days and just keep pummeling through. And then as soon as this endometriosis just started flaring up for me, I couldn't do the same things that I've been doing for a long time. So I've had to abandon that career and try to forge a way for me to make money on my own without having to work for someone else. Um, that's the idea of me leaving that career now because that way I can have a more flexible lifestyle with my endo. And, you know, if I need to take a day off, I'm answering to myself and nobody else. Um, but that's still not possible for everybody who has an, who have endometriosis. Like, you know, there's a lot of shame around not being able to do the work that you maybe once could have done or the, you know, keep the level of pressure going in your job. Um, and that's something that I think we need to discuss more about endometriosis. The fact that people can't see it and they kind of just assume that you're just trying to be lazy or you're ch chucking a sickie yeah. or you're trying to get off work for whatever reason. And really, truly, you are, you're struggling so badly. Um, and yeah, there's been times where I've just broke down in tears because I just feel the pressure of everything and everywhere that needs me when I can't even look after myself properly when that happens. So yeah, it's really a struggle for lots of people, I think. And um, yeah, we talk about awareness, but, but really it comes down to the quality of life that we're living. Yeah. You know? And actually, you know, uh, giving employers and friends and caretakers and partners and family members, the education of what is this person experiencing and how can you support them that, yeah. like you said, you know, I've been lucky enough for the last three and a half years to be working for myself. And I honestly don't know what I would have done in a high pressure environment, like working in private equity and investment banking, where, you know, there is just no tolerance for someone who would, you know, even possibly be chucking sickies or using excuses. It just wouldn't be tolerated. And that's how um, they would, as, as you know, they'd, they'd see that as chucking yeah. a sickie. They would actually- In a male dominated yeah. industry like that, oh, they'd be like, oh, we completely empathize with your lady problems. Tell us some more. Um, yeah. They would just- would see that as an issue. And I think that's the problem is that people do see people with, and it is a disability now, you know, they see, I feel like they do see people with disabilities as a major issue mm. when it comes to, you know, how many hours people are able to work, whatever it is. So, And yeah. if you can see, you know, like the work that I do, I think, I mean, hopefully any clients watching this would agree that the work I do brings value and I'm <laughs> able to create a flexible environment or environment around myself. Like I literally will be on calls with people and I'm in a chair that supports me with my leg feet up and they know that they can see my knees in the corner of the call because that's more comfortable for me <laughs> or you know between calls I will get in the lying down position and that's where I'll be answering my emails from and I can keep being productive and keep working but I can create an environment for myself that supports my needs and keeps me productive as opposed to these really inflexible structures that don't accommodate people like you said with chronic illness or disabilities it is sort of a disability issue right if we're yeah. experiencing this what about people with uh in scenarios where they really need to be accommodated mm -hmm. and their employers are missing out on the quality of their work and what they can contribute yeah i think there's a lot of accommodations. there's a lot of lip service i feel like people kind of go oh yes we're very inclusive we all we, we do think about people with disabilities but when it comes to day-to-day you know, interactions or activities or whatever needs to be done, they just 
miss the mark a lot of the time in my experience and that's really disappointing i hope it's not the case in all industries and workplaces but you know there really does need to be more education i think when it comes to these types of illnesses um when it you know when we're dealing in, um with workplaces it just has to be talked about more um and taken seriously you know not just flippant oh yes yes okay well hr boxes yeah you need to really people who employ other people really do need to take it seriously and you know realize that people who have um issues like this we have a lot of value we're still smart intelligent people who can do the job it's just that we need some flexibility which is not always I know it's hard, it's difficult to come up with a balance there, but yeah, it's just frustrating because I do want to be a member of society who is productive and, you know, included and, um, you know, you feel, you feel the same, you know, yeah. we want to be able to perform jobs where we're um, taken seriously and where we are doing a good job, um, but we just sometimes, I guess, need some help and some understanding around Yeah, that. and also just, you know, it is a sense of helplessness and because it's your body fighting against you. You can, I will, you know, go to bed feeling fine and have all these plans for what I want to do the next day. And I'll wake up so exhausted and in so much pain that all I can do is lie in one position all day. And so then the effects on your mental health, because you can't interact as much as you like, you can't do the things that you want to do. There's then the anxiety about what impact is this going to have on my work? What impact is it going to have on my relationships? Are people judging me? The question of, you know, which I meant would have covered in our intro, the question of infertility. Is this going to impact whether or not I can have children, which you and I obviously talk about as well, you know, being two people who would like to have children. The anxiety associated with that means there's mental health impacts too. It kind of absolutely going, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've been trying for two years to have a baby and I'm 37 now. I'm not sure if it's going to happen, but you know, at this point, it looks like we're doing IVF at some point this year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I have hopes for that, but at the end of the day, endometriosis can cause infertility and it's real and horrible. And there are a lot of sad days and, you know, times where you feel really inadequate and, um, you know, like you can't do what other people can do. Um, and that's really hard. It can be really exhausting and sad. Um, and, you know, like there are some times where I've just come to terms with it, I guess, uh, where I've just gone, okay, well, it's not happening. We need some help and just accepting it, but it's still, it's not easy to get there. It's not easy to get to that place where you kind of accept it and, and whatever will be, will be, especially if you really do want to have a baby, if it's something yeah. that, you know, you've always thought about doing. Um, for me, I've never really, like, really wanted to, like, absolutely definitely have children. Um, so it wasn't something that, you know, it, it doesn't mean my life will be crushed, I think, if I can't have a baby. But I know that there are a lot of people who do feel that way. Um, I would like to have a baby, but it's one of those things where it's like, I'll be okay if I don't um, yeah. end up having a baby. Yeah, but that's you know, as I said, that's just my personal experience. There are people who are really, really just struggling um, and want to have a baby so badly, and um, I totally empathise with those people. And you know, they they, it's unfair. It's really unfair that you know there are people who are out there um, going through that. So yeah, 
so I think that's something like when you talk about, you know, the support that we need to give logistically and practically and physically to people, I think accommodations have to be made for people's mental health in this as well. I know that sometimes I lie, you know, when you wake up at two in the morning and that's the best time to think about your future and all the things that could go wrong. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, just really effective use of my time. And I'll lie there and that will go through my head, that anxiety coming up of, you know, what if this doesn't happen for me? What if physically it's just not possible? Would then I be able to do this or that? And it just, you know, all starts to spiral. And then oh, anxiety that kind of sits with you a lot of the time about, you know, I would like to do this, but it just may not be physically possible for me. Yeah. And yeah. no one being able to give you any really concrete answers about whether or not you're one of those people, it will likely or, you know, will, mm -hmm. will you know, be unlikely for or be likely for. No one can give you any real indications of what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the doctors don't know exactly. I've been told I have a 10% chance of falling pregnant naturally, but I mean, who knows? I mean, really, it could be 5%. It could be 20%. I mean, it's probably not 20%, but, but you know, there's, there's all these statistics that get thrown at you. And I, I don't know if I believe all of those because you hear stories of women who have been trying for 10 years to get pregnant and they just suddenly get pregnant. You know, and maybe that means that they only had a really, really slim chance of falling pregnant, but they just were persistent enough and kept trying. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things. I, I, to I totally relate to you when, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and that's all you can think about. My my worst, like, spiralling, I guess, that happens with that is when I'm in the middle of a flare-up and all of that pain and that pressure and that feeling of just, like, bloat and, like, I just kind of look at, I feel in my body, like this is never going to happen. I'm never going to be able to give birth. Like my body can't do that. Like I just, that's honestly sort of how it feels in that moment. And then when I'm not in a flare up, I'm like, oh no, my body could totally do it. Like I can do it. It'll be fine. But it's, um yeah, it's really, that plays a, a really horrible game in your head. Like it's like this nasty little voice that you know cycles through when you're in that really bad place um and the great yeah. irony is that you know i remember stumbling across endometriosis forums where there were women there who have had children who said mm. you know like, like not for everyone i'm not making this claim for everyone who's had endometriosis and yeah. had babies but many of them said the pain that they had with endometriosis flare-ups was equal to and sometimes worse than the pain they experience during labor and it's like well what an irony that we're the ones who are most physically pain-wise prepared and we're the ones where our fertility is you know most at risk um but that was always really validating for me because i i really didn't go looking for community and connection when i was first diagnosed because yeah. i think it's taken me a long time to process uh the impact it really has on my life i think i've suppressed a lot of that reality of the day-to-day -day impact it has and the long-term anxiety and impact it has. It's only been recently that I've been going to forums and, you know, following some really great people on Instagram and, you know, finding terms I didn't know about, which is endo belly, which is when that, you're, that lower part of your belly becomes so distended. Oh. And it's a so really cool thing in the work that I do because clients are like, well, how do you deal with body image? I'm like, and or they say, well, you know, you're recovered now, so you must not worry about body image. I'm like, uh, I fit into three different size pants mm -hmm. in like a 24 hour cycle a lot of the time where yeah. my usual size, I have to go two sizes up from that just to be kind of comfortable. Yep. 
where, you know, in the morning I was wearing one size and I'm wearing two sizes higher by the afternoon because exactly. my body fluctuates that much. Yep. The same with me. It's same with me. I, it's funny actually that you mentioned that because I was in a flare up last week and I'm at, I'm at TAFE at the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've you gone back. To, <laughs> yeah, the, hideous, no, you can, you can put them in. They're hideous. I, I'm currently <laughs> a guinea pig for nails that we're doing in class. Chanel's um, so beautiful. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to become a nail artist. And I, I was, there's a mirror sort of at the back of the classroom. And I remember I was in a flare up and I walked past it and I, I looked so bloated and I took note of it as I walked past and my t-shirt was really, really tight on me. Mm-hmm. And like, I could see how tight it was around my belly. And I, I just went like, oh my God, I'm so bloated and just feel so sick right now. And then only like maybe four days later, I walked past the same mirror and my t-shirt was hanging off me. And I mean, not, not that like I really let that affect me, but it's just more like body image wise. I don't really look at myself negatively um, in the mirror or anything like that, but it was more just like a, oh my God, like that difference between being bloated and not being bloated is massive. That, that to me is, um, you know, it, it really shows me how much my body really struggles during that time. Totally. So, yeah, it's it's really, yeah. And for me, look, as I said, it's not a body image issue really, but but it is, yeah, it's scary. <laughs> you're like, scary. You're like a passenger in your own body. Like, yeah. like feeling of being, like when I get pain in my hips and when I get so tired and I'm just like, and I feel like this is not me. Like this is, I am an energetic, want to do stuff, like want to be out, want to be social, want to be connecting to people. But when you've taken a bunch of codeine because you're in so much pain, you can't be yourself. You are yeah. you know, so muted and so foggy because you're just trying to get through the pain. Yeah. Or, you know, no, I can't go for that long hike that I'd love to do with my friends because there's a really good chance at that time that I'm going to get a tenth of the way and go, see you in the car, guys, because yeah. it's not going to be worth the pain. Or even going out for lunch or, yeah. you know, going over to people's houses. I, you know, I live in, I live in, on the central coast now um, and most of my good friends are in Sydney. So yeah. I have to pack a contingency bag <laughs> when I go. And sometimes I have to ask, can I stay at your house tonight if I'm not well enough to drive back to the coast? And, you know, that my, my best friends are fine with that because they love me and they're like family. And so, you know, they, they're like, yeah, stay. It's all good. But at the same stage, it's sort of like you have to plan mm. for those times. You can't always say yes to plans or say yes to invitations because you just don't know what day that's going to be. You can kind of get a rough idea with your cycle. But, I mean, my cycle sometimes changes. So yeah. that's the other thing. Like, it's not always consistent. Usually yeah. I'm lucky enough that it is pretty consistent. But, yeah. um, you know, there are days where I might get my period like five days late or yeah. You know, a week early, that happens to me. And it's just frustrating and annoying because you do try to plan your life around these cycles. But yeah, this is endo. (laughs) Life with endo, what a a thrill. So what's some of the stuff that you find helpful? Like what do you physically do for yourself? What do you mentally do for yourself? What's some of the stuff like as far as, you know, seeking help for it or comforting yourself? How do you respond to the pain in those days when it's just really tricky? What do you find most helpful? 
So um, I have painkillers that I take um, that I, I'm not great with advocating for myself most of the time. Um, so I'm better at it now. I'm definitely, as soon as I know that I can feel a flare up coming up, I will be taking my medication. So I'm on a pretty heavy um, opioid to do that. So it's a long lasting one as well. Um, and I generally know when to take it now. At the beginning, when I was first getting going with endo, I had a really big thing about not wanting to use medication. And um, my husband, <laughs> Max, had to basically bully me into medicating myself. Um, yeah. So, you know, but I'm much better at self-medicating now. Not self-medicating in like a bad <laughs> way. I mean, not like, you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm not like, I'm not like reasonable yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, the drugs that are, you know, um, prescribed. You have a prescription. Yeah. I have a prescription. I have yeah. a prescription. So, yeah, that is the first, like, point of what I do when I know that a flare-up's starting. Another thing I like to do, I buy um, heat patches that I can stick on my body. Oh, yeah. Have you never used them? You told me about them. I completely forgot. Oh, you can buy a 50-pack for, like, 100 bucks. They're fantastic. Oh, we yeah. love a bargain. Yeah, they're great. So I'm, I might put you onto that. I think it's eBay. Um, so yeah, I have these heat patches that I can stick on and they, as soon as they come out of the packet, they sort of react to whatever. I don't know how it works exactly, but you can stick them on different areas of your body. And that really helps me with the pain as well and the swelling. It sort of helps to distract um, me from that. I have a, I also have like a heat balm that I use on my hip and my leg. Um, water bottles and wheat and wheat packs are great. And I, I stay in bed for most of the day or yeah. I get comfortable on the couch with a blanket and I'm kind to myself for that day. If I have, th have things that I have to do that day or I had things that I had to do, I forgive myself for not being able to do it. That's an important one. Yeah, that's, that's something I'm learning to do. Yeah, <laughs> the way you talk to yourself when you just can't do yeah. the thing you would like to do or you need to do, and putting your to-do list from today to tomorrow, or even you know a few days after you'd really like to get it done, yeah. um, is really important. The self-talk stuff, yeah. really and also important. asking for help from people yeah. in your life. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's really difficult. I guess when you're in a relationship like I'm in, it's hard to ask that person to do a lot of things for you. And Max does so much for me when I'm not capable of looking after myself and yeah. it can last days. Yeah. This is not something that happens in one day and then I'm better the next. It's usually about three days, maybe four. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it can kind of chop and change. So you might have a day where you feel really, really, really sick. And then the next day in the morning, you might feel better. And then in the afternoon, you're feeling terrible again. And you know, it's just, it just kind of chops and changes sometimes. So, um, you know, I have to, I have to stop trying to apologize to people as well for the condition that I'm in, which is something that I definitely do. Yes, and you do. <laughs> I've had a lot it. <laughs> of a lot of people who tell me that it's actually more annoying me <laughs> apologizing than just being sick in the first place. And that's something I hear quite a lot. Um, and I do, I feel guilty when people are around me and I'm not, you know, my normal self and I'm feeling horrible. So yeah, it's a process, especially when you're still kind of trying to learn how to live with it and how to deal with it and um, accepting that it's probably going to be something that's going to be in your life for a long time yeah. and managing for a long time. You know, 
you hear stories about people who have been cured because they've had a baby. But I mean, this is the thing. This is not my experience, but I, I think that's kind of dangerous as well because lots of people don't experience that. A lot of people say it either comes back exactly the same um, or, um, you know, it gets worse. Yeah. It could be worse. Um, I would, I don't know. Look, to me as well, I've been trying to get pregnant. So I think it's probably... Um, a smart idea for people to go and speak to their doctors and gynecologists as well um, to see if there's any options that they can try. I, I have done that recently um, just because I, I, later in the year we're going to try IVF, but I've decided I've had enough and I need to focus on trying to, you know, get my life together for the next couple of months. And so I'm going to go and get um, some birth control to stop my period so that it's yeah. a little bit of an overshare but it's also um, not a cure but they have ways no. that they can try to kind of minimize the symptoms but yes. there is you know there's not it's not going to be cured because you hear that as well about like i hear that all the time about getting pregnant that'll cure it or then you you know you have a baby and you have a hysterectomy and that'll cure it and there are women who have done both and been like nope because endometriosis they found it in the spleen they found it everywhere it's not just in the reproductive system yeah, it goes, that's the whole everywhere. point it goes everywhere yeah it can everywhere. You're, you're up to your diaphragm everywhere yeah. yeah around your ribs it's really really nasty it can spread a lot so yeah i mean that's the thing um having a baby was like the first thing that was suggested to me especially because of my age and look we were planning to anyway so it didn't offend me but <laughs> But, you know, that's not a cure-all. Yes, okay, it helps to give you a bit of a break in that nine-month period where you're not going through that cyclical, you know, period, um, you know, menstruation. It's just one of those things where, like, you've got to kind of deal with the fact that you have this now and that you're going to come across people, firstly, who don't know how to deal with you. Uh, just in your day to day, mm. um, you're going to have to deal with the guilt, I guess, and the shame of having it because, you know, it's not your fault at the end of the day, but there are lots of, there's, there's a lot of shame and guilt around it because you feel like your pre previous self is sort of gone. Yeah. There's no way to get that person back again and you have yeah. to sort of move forward being a different person. And that's really hard. Um, so, you know, that to me is one of the biggest challenges is, you know, finding who I am in this. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. really hard. And I think all those suggestions about like how to take care of yourself are great. And I think you and I are really lucky in that, you know, you'll message me and be like, God, I'm having a terrible endo flare up. And I told you just over the weekend, like I've just been in bed. I'm, I'm absolutely wiped. I just feel awful. And, and, you know, all we say back to each other is like, I'm so sorry. You know, I get it. Like, you know, go and be nice to yourself, just take care of yourself, just rest. And just to have that validation of like, I don't need to explain it to you. I don't need to, you know, describe it to you. I don't, I know that you're not going to go really like, I know that you're just going to get it. So yeah, people yeah. finding whether or not it is connecting with other people who in your life might have it and making sure that you're really making use of your shared experience. If not that there are some really great, um, Instagram accounts, which we'll have in the description box below and in the show notes for the audio version. I found those so helpful and really validating um, yeah. because sometimes even the websites that you go to, which explain endometriosis, they leave out like half of the symptoms. Um, and oh, the annoying. <laughs> and the mental health component, they really oh. put, you know, they don't put a lot of emphasis on that. So to see other 
people with endometriosis talking about it and the true experience of it. Yeah, has the been reality. Really, yeah. yeah. And like mm -hmm. really pushing that self-compassion and really, you know, your self-talk and helping you figure out how to advocate for yourself medically too, that if you're someone listening to this or watching this, who has listened to the symptoms at the top of the um, video or the podcast, wherever you're uh, getting this, uh, if that really resonates with you and you think that you might have endometriosis, it might take a couple of doctors. It might take a couple of specialists. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. It took me, I think three doctors. Yeah, three doctors before I was diagnosed and I was passed around to different people until finally I saw a gynecologist who's, who was also a surgeon. Yeah. So that's where it got me, you know, but it took probably, for me, I was lucky. I think it took me maybe six months before mm. I was in surgery and diagnosed. Mm. But, you know, that still was very frustrating, you know, people um, dismissing my pain and dismissing my symptoms. Um, you know, I had a couple of doctors go, oh, well, that's not, there were a couple of symptoms I had where they were like, that's not necessarily indicative of endo. But then later on finding out, actually, no, that is a symptom, you know, things like that. People just, even doctors, I think, GPs don't really know exactly what it is. Um, yeah, it's invisible illnesses. There's a lot of um, people who don't understand it. And I think even in the medical um, industry, they don't really get it. For yeah. sure. Yeah. And, you know, from an advocacy standpoint and being able to get like the funding for endometriosis is terrible. Uh, you know, we need yeah. women in positions of power politically and publicly who are drawing attention to this and, and really yeah. uh, pushing for greater research, greater funding, trying to find a cure for it. One, uh, in, ten, one in 10 people. Actually, so. now the <laughs> most recent stats that I've got from Endometriosis Australia is one in nine. So it's about oh, okay. 200 million worldwide, which wow. is, it's significant. That's yeah. a lot of people. Um, so uh, thank you so much for talking to us about your experience today. Thank it feels you for having strange. me. <laughs> <laughs> it feels a bit strange, this thing that we've talked about privately for years, just the two of us. We're like, let's talk to the world about it. Uh, yeah. But I think it's really important because I know I would have benefited for all the years that I was experiencing these awful, horrendous symptoms and accepting it as normal and thinking this is just how life is. I think lived experience is so important because it gives people language. It gives people a bit of a, a framework to go, oh, I, I can see myself in that. So there's a process by which I can address it. You can't cure it, but you can treat it and take care of yourself and find community and understanding in yeah. other people sharing their stories. So yeah. I really, really appreciate it. You are welcome. I hope that I did okay. You did amazing. <laughs> you did amazing. I mean, you'll, you'll, um, you'll see how amazing you were and how good. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mill. Um, and so Sarah has an Instagram account, which she's set up for her uh, upcoming nail artistry business. Tiny shout little out. <laughs> Tiny little luxury. Make sure you go and follow her there. She has been doing this training for such a short period of time 
And what she is creating is, I mean, she was already doing awesome stuff before she even started the course. Uh, so please go and check it out and show her some support, especially if you're on the Central Coast, because you're probably going to be a future client. Yeah, tiny little luxury on Instagram. Come and see and maybe I can do your nails. And, make and even crazy. like just for the creepy little <laughs> mannequin hand things that you have to work with. Oh my God, they're horrible. They're, they're so terrifying. creepy. Yeah, you they could, are. You could write a whole horror movie just about those hands yeah they're very creepy and just feel gross even <laughs> when they're dry they're slimy does that make sense no are they like, like latex i think so they just feel weird they're just weird feeling yeah oh, i can't wait i have no idea but they're not great i can't <laughs> wait to see them and play with them oh, yeah but yeah, they're just gross. They're really gross. Love it. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, come and get your nails done if you're on the Central Coast in a few months. I'll be, yes. I'll be certified. Yes, but go and follow her journey and uh, show her some support. Um, like I said in, at the beginning of the uh, episode or the video, so many places you can enjoy this. Um, I'll put some really great resources as far as foundations and some information if you want to go and read up or, you know, maybe something in this episode has triggered something in your head to go, oh, I think that this might be me. Um, uh, but yeah, just know if this is something you're dealing with, you're so not alone. There are places yeah. to go and find connection and community. Uh, and I just hope that people, you know, really got something out of what we've chatted about today. Absolutely. So, thank you. Yeah, so I was much. just going to say one last thing. If you are experiencing those symptoms, go and talk to your GP, but just one thing advocate for yourself mm. really do keep pushing if you're not getting the answer on you know if they're just dismissing you just keep pushing for that totally until you get someone to help you yeah, yeah such good advice taking that list of symptoms taking the information going prepared and just keep advocating for yourself if the doctor isn't responding appropriately it's nothing wrong with you there's something wrong with their caregiving go and find somebody else who knows how to sort of appropriately respond yeah. to what you're dealing absolutely. with absolutely yep. yeah Thanks, Thanks Mel. I Thank love you. you. Love you too. Mwah. Bye. Mwah.